Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, I'm Steph. And I'm Simon. And this is The Food Fight, a frank discussion of food culture featuring Australia's top chefs, producers, and experts. We'll chat about real issues and go places others won't. This podcast travels throughout the country and we acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we gather and speak. And we pay respect to elders, past, present and emerging. This is a new type of episode. We're calling it Stock Takes, where Simon and I give our opinions on the latest food news, talk about what we're seeing on Instagram and finish off with a couple of hot tips. All right, Mr. Evans, it's good to be with you once again. How are you going, mate? Yeah, pretty good, mate. How have you been? How's the down the coast? Yeah, it's very, very nice down here. Um, I've got yeah, nothing. I mean, I, even though we're under lockdown now, um, we've got nothing to complain about. Life well, down here. This is like your first real lockdown as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You've 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 been through some lockdown. You've been been through a little bit of lockdown. Just a little bit. Through a little bit of lockdown, but the thing about yeah. lockdown down here, like down here, I just cook at home anyway. You know, like mm. there aren't that many great restaurants to go out to. I would have liked to have gone to uh, the Whale, the the Maryvale thing that they opened in um, mm. the Rumor. Uh, I would have liked to, you know, just supported a few more businesses. Like if you lived in a place like Milton or uh, Davis Bay or somewhere a bit further north, uh, Molly Mork and Ulladulla in those places, there's a bit more going on in terms of like being able to go out and get some like, you know, have nice meals numerous times a week or however you want to dine. But where I am, which is south of Batemans Bay, um, but not quite as far as like Narooma and Bermagui. It's pretty few and far between. So it's even not now, going anywhere. Even now in lockdown, like if I want to get takeaway, I'm pretty limited in my area to like there's there's pizza place, there's a burger place, and there's a Thai place, and that's kind of it. You know, I don't actually have the I don't I don't have um, Basque cheesecakes and uh, you know four course like menus. And restaurants made, serving as bottle shops and. Delivery. Yeah. We'll get on to Bass Cheesecakes later. But um, mm, can't wait. inform the audience, um, Simon and I were sort of thinking about a bit of a way that we're going to, A, uh, produce more content because we'd like to produce more. And, and, you know, we've only got a limited amount of time and resources. So we want to do something that's easy for us. And B, continue this podcast on a weekly basis through these lockdowns while we're not living in the same city. So in... In the, se- in the same way that restaurants have had to pivot their business model to adapt to the pressures of pandemic life, lockdown, and everything that comes with it, so is the Food Fight podcast, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, mm. we, we now bring you our new style of episode, which is going to be from here on. Hereforth will be called uh, Stock Takes, and it will be an episode in which Simon and I give our take on some 
food news that's happening around the world. So we'll be tinkering with the format a little bit, but essentially each of us is going to bring in a food news story uh, to, to chat about and we'll have a conversation about them. And then we'll try to try to keep it brief. And then after that, we're going to, uh, we're going to talk about one thing that we were seeing on Instagram that's sort of tickling us in one mm. way or another. We're basically and- bringing the contents of our Facebook Messenger group to uh, a podcast. Exactly. Because yeah. this would be the, the stuff we link each other to, the little tidbits we send each other and discuss throughout the week in podcast form. Yeah, in audio form. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the last bit, and then at the end, we're going to do one recommendation each, one hot tip each, um, whether that's cooking or dining or figuring out, like navigating lockdowns or whatever it might be. So it's just some more sort of personable stuff from Simon and I. Um, but, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, Simon, realistically, do people, do people want to hear from us or do they want to hear from um, celebrity chef guests on this podcast? And I'll tell you what. <laughs> um, I mean, I've heard some people say that they just get in the way of, of our banter. Well, so, I mean... Look, there's, there's, there's a lot of podcasts out there that interview chefs and there's not that many podcasts out there that's literally just two dickheads giving their opinion of, of things. So, you know, I call it a POD, a point of difference, a pod, yeah, yeah. if you will. But maybe, will. maybe our pod for this, uh, for, this, for this Stock Takes episode will be the fact that um, we're not celebrity chefs and we're just asking people what it was like mm. and thrown at us by Mark Best. Yeah, so um, we're going we're gonna to bring you a mix of news, mix of uh, things going on in the hospitality world. And just some things that we've noticed on social media and in the uh, hospitality internet sphere. And not to be confused with Small Bites. Small Bites is going to continue as well, where Simon and I harp on about one particular subject for the best part of half an hour to an hour. But we'll try to keep mm. these ones at around half an hour. We want to just talk about what's going on in the news. You might even be getting some um, double, two, two episodes a week with these ones coming through. Imagine that, right? Yeah. And, that. Uh, and yeah. Hope you like them. So, Simon, let's kick it off. You've got um, your first story to have a quick chinwag about this week. What is so, it? big news in hospitality world was um, last weekend's article um, from Sydney Morning Herald about uh, Jocks on Frillo, ex Orana chef, current master chef uh, judge, um, and alluded to his new book. Um, called Last Shot, which pertains to the last shot of heroin he did in a Heathrow toilet before returning to Australia in the early 2000s. Um, so a very interesting article, got some traction around the place. Um, Tim Elliott, the author of the article, did um, he fo- seemed to follow Jock around for a little while. He was doing an interview, a piece about this book, um, but after fact-checking or you know, possibly even getting some of the people in his book, um, getting in contact with them for comment, found that there may have been some um, differing, differing opinions of, of certain events in the book. So the major one, uh, Marco Pierre White, basically disavowing a lot of the stuff that Jock has said prior um, and in the book, mm. um, and basically said that... Um, you know, Jock is a great guy, but everything he's ever written about me has been false. Mm. Um, so a bit of a bombshell on that. Obviously would be would be quite embarrassing if you've um, been 
And um, so what did he actually say about his relationship with Marco in Last Shot? Uh, article. So I mean, so I mean, it's obviously it's in the book, but it, it's things that it's kind of part of it's part of Jock's uh, you know story that every chef kind of needs to have uh, nowadays. So basically, he went to work for Marco at the, um, the Hyde Park Hotel um, in the late nineties, early two thousands. Uh, so it's three three mission star hotel in London is where Marco won his three stars. Um, went to went to work. They got a job. Um, was homeless at the time. Had a heroin addiction, and said that Marco. Knew, um, helped him out with some money, let him, let him sleep in the, the hotel's changing rooms for a while, um, helped him get a, get a house, took him fishing. Um, he's referred to him as a bit of a father figure mm. over the years as well. Um, and Marcus came out and said, no, that was true. Um, mm. Same with some of uh, his previous head chefs in Sydney. Said that uh, he possibly take what he says with a bit of grain of salt at times. Um, so quite a lot of people who were close to him and worked to him um, disavowing quite a, quite a lot of what he said in his book and previous articles. Mm. Um, so, so before we get into sort of speculating about what may or may not be true, the publisher of Last Shot uh, about a week ago uh, released a statement, which the Sydney Morning Herald reported on, uh, and in that statement, they, where are we? Uh, the publisher. In that statement, they basically are defending defending what was said in last shot, and at the same time, uh, in this in this same article, it talks about how the publisher's statement has come at the same time as an announcement that uh, Jock is being sued by a former landlord for about two hundred thousand dollars worth of unpaid rent from his wine bar Melozzi in Adelaide. Um, Mm. This was reported by the Adelaide Advertiser. So, um, I mean... I mean, first of all... There's a lot to unpack. Yeah, Jock has come out and um, and obviously spoken out against the article. Um, He said, this is the story story of my life. I've lived every minute of it, the highs and lows, and I stand by it. Uh, There's no question that some of my book makes me look pretty unsavoury at the best of times. I carry the shame from those years, not pride. And it was a big obstacle for me to overcome when writing this book. So he's come out, obviously, denied um, that it is untrue. Um, There's also some um, claims from the publisher that part of this story was actually published in the 25th anniversary of Marco's seminal cookbook, White Heat, um, which I think was actually a quote from a third party Quoting Jock's story, so a bit, a bit of confusion there as well. Um, can you unpack? Can you unpack what that, what that, what you meant by that? Because I think you went too quick over it. We need to. So need to actually, yeah. From the gist of it, I don't. I, I do have a copy of White Heat, but not the 25th anniversary. So from what I've read, um, in the 25th 25th anniversary edition, various people were asked to um, add stories about Marco and. Uh, him over the years a uh, journalist uh, included Jock's story about Marco helping him in White Heat mm. so it seems that Simon Schuster is saying that obviously Marco has been you know, mis- mistaken because you know, some yeah, of the stories have appeared in his book even though they weren't written by Marco as it were a little mm. bit confusing but so as these things are a lot of he said, she said, 
um, back and forth. Um, but the the article, I'd advise people to go out and read it. Um, it was entitled. Um, well, the headline was, "He's very nice." The only problem is Chef Marco Pierre White on Jocks on Frillo by Tim Elliott. Worth a read um, to see some of the things that were included in the book um, and uh, some of the people he spoke to. But quite embarrassing for a chef. Yeah, well, it must be a tough one. Now, I mean, I think, with you know, without risking, you know, saying anything disparaging about anyone, I think that we're able to sort of speculate somewhat. And it's it's interesting because, I mean, Jock has said this stuff about Marco in his book and about his relationship with Marco. And then Marco comes out and says, almost everything he has written about me is untrue. Now, the funny thing and the interesting thing to me is that that means that one of them is lying. So either John (laughs) is lying about his relationship with Marco Pierre White or Marco Pierre White has such a fucking vendetta for some reason against Jocks on Frillo that when he releases his book, he tell he says that everything that he said about him in the book is bullshit. Now, and I just think that like whatever whatever the truth is, I just like I think that this is such a fucking like and on either side of the coin, it's just the quintessential egotistical chef. Yeah. Like because one of them's lying and 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 one of them is one of them is embodying the egotistical chef just absolutely perfectly. So Marco has history of of little things like this, like with, with some of his previous chefs. Like he um like the, the whole reason like Gordon Ramsay and Mark White sort of fell out was like an argument over who stole a reservation book from the restaurant Gordon used to work at. And I think from memory, uh, Gordon blamed Marco for it. And then Marco blamed Gordon for some other stuff. And then there's been like, and if you read their two biographies, they have like differing accounts to the same stories as well. So like, it doesn't seem like it's, it's, it's not uh, below Marco Pierre White just to come out and be like, no, no, he didn't. Like that doesn't seem like that's that's <laughs> exactly. out, out of the realms either. Like my my old boss Mark Manson, who was a food writer, has interviewed Marco, and they they sat down, had dinner, and they've been to some events together, like quite small events together before. And early on, I'm going to get him on the podcast. What get get Marco on? Yeah, you he'll claim he will claim he's never heard of me, bastard. <laughs> <laughs> um. And yeah, Mark basically said he's 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 a bit crazy, like he's yeah. he's actually just a bit a bit of a, an odd dude. Um, yeah. So when yes, definitely battle of the chef egos. Um, it's it's the the article well, is fa- fascinating. I think that the I think that the interesting like I mean, from what I know about PR and about trying to sell a book, mm. is that you want it to be as salacious. It's possible. Yeah, so the more yeah. the more heroin, the better. The more alcoholism, the more homelessness, like all these sorts of things, sell books. Yeah. And I definitely think that if you know, if Jock had someone helping him helping him write it or editing it and things like that, it's definitely not past a publisher to say, 
how can we, you know, like how can we put these stories to the max effect or how can we sort of add a little bit of salt and pepper to these stories to to make them to make them sell books. So, yeah. you know, like I mean that's like that's relatively feasible in the same way that um you know Marco is 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 a bit of an odd dude himself mm. is is quite quite a feasible explanation. And at the same time like you kind of look at you look at the press images of Jock and in this article and stuff and I don't know like there's there's you know there's these pictures of him in a kilt pissing on a on a wall and smoking yeah. a joint and and like he's he's definitely taken on the role of this sort of like you know pretty uh you know got got a lot of demons to deal with the kind of chef yeah. guy that's had a rough up, upbringing and um yeah yeah now dealing with I that mean, and, and there's of, some so. there's some pretty pretty crazy things the book has seemed as um you know getting used to, to cocaine at 13 years old um seeing his seeing it at one of his school school you know friends be murdered um at like 12 years old back in scotland which um is all pretty is all pretty wild um mm. one of the biggest parts of the article which um has kind of got a lot of traction on twitter is a part where on returning from a uh indigenous uh community um that he wasn't allowed into he got pulled over by the police um and asked to leave um she couldn't be there without some sort of permit and he he pulled over his car and um punched the punched the red dirt and left let out a scream um mm. So, which sounds very much like something you might see in a movie. So there's some, some bits which are, um, you know, seem a little bit uh, exaggerated. Um, and yeah, it seems like a pretty crazy story, but it's uh, an interesting one, especially because it seems that there's, there is quite a lot of skeletons um, in, in Jock's past with um, you know, recently him being, being sued by, uh, the owners of uh, some of his previous restaurants. He um, also, I mean, it's, it's in the book as well, but it's been reported um, by the advisor in, in the advertisement in Adelaide that uh, he actually went bankrupt after a, a prank gone wrong where he set fire to a, an apprentice with um, basically lighter fluid. Um, the apprentice got some pretty, pretty nasty burns and he got sued for $75,000 in 2000, early 2000s. Um, so some some sort of unsavory stuff in the background as well, which you know might might lead to a bit bit of resentment um, along the way. Mm. Yeah, I, and I don't know, like maybe maybe this is a topic, and 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 maybe it's not the place to talk about this sort of thing in these stock takes uh, episodes of, of this podcast. But I think that this this recent article in the Sydney Morning Herald about um, this new statement from the publisher and stuff talking about how uh, his previous landlord um, at, at, at one of his wine bars in Adelaide, you know, is suing him for $224,000. Uh, they've also, they've also chose to mention that um, Rana shut in March last year with combined debts of about $3.2 million, including 340000 in outstanding rent, 234000 owed to the ATO, and $88,000 in unredeemed gift vouchers. Now, perhaps we should do a small bites on this. Maybe we will. Maybe we'll shelve it for a small bites. And, and you know, if you want to hear us, us sort of dig into this and talk about it. But chefs, 
and especially chefs like jocks on filler are celebrities and if celebrities um owe people shitloads of money because of decisions that they've made and closures and those sorts of things and they're being sued for hundreds of thousands of dollars uh you know like I know for a fact that like I know chefs out there who have walked out of their premises and owing owing money to their staff, owing money to their suppliers and all these sorts of things. Do you think that the media, the food media or the media in general should ho- hold chefs to a higher standard that than, you know, the, the same standard that other celebrities would be held to in these sorts of situations? Because, you know, we've talked about the wage theft issue and we've we've talked about you know we talked about all sorts of different you know things that chefs do and you know a lot of the time get away with and to me it seems that much of the time it sort of depends on who you are and who you're friends with as to how the media chooses to cover your yeah misgivings yeah. if you will yeah i think um yeah an interesting conversation is is what what role do the media play in uh in background checking people they decide to to you know to to hold up um you know, mm. as, as celebrities um and i think that's a question that's been happening in the u.s a lot with a lot of scandals recently so i think this just is a i think it's i think it's more than a small bites podcast i think it's a, a full-blown podcast with someone who might know what they're talking about okay all right well we'll, we'll park that there and we'll come mm. back to it but it's definitely yeah. something interesting to 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 think on and we will see Maybe in, in a future stock takes episode, we will report back on whether or not Joxon Philo owes someone two hundred and twenty four thousand dollars. Yeah, or, or, if the, or if the City Morning Herald owe Joxon money for, for <laughs> something instead. So we'll we'll see how it plays out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next thing, um, the the one that I brought in today, and it's it's a funny mm. one for us to discuss, but. The, the news of the day, the news of the week is that um, Golden Century Seafood in, uh, in Sydney has closed, which is a Cantonese restaurant that seems to be the favourite restaurant of every single Sydney chef bar night. And it's a, it's a funny one for us to, to discuss because I've not eaten at Golden Century. I mean, like, just because I'm not from Sydney and I don't work at restaurants in Sydney and I don't, I mean, you know, you're, go out you're to not, dinner at two o'clock in the morning. You're not, you're not hospo frontline either. So yeah, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be allowed in. Wouldn't be allowed in. And nah, I don't know, nah, like, nah. yeah. So, so no riffraff. That are sort of in the middle of Instagram and, you know, follow all these Sydney, you know, food writers and chefs and these people around the world. Like if you're not on it, you wouldn't have, probably seen or heard this information but it is literally you know over the last couple of days the fact that golden century has closed is bigger news than anything to do with COVID-19 yes I mean I mean maybe there's a reason because that maybe maybe people want someone else to talk about I think I think first of all like golden, golden maybe we'll give a little bit of context golden century is um a, a, a pretty iconic place it's kind of decked out like your average Cantonese restaurant, but they have live uh, fish tanks all the restaurant. So you can pick out your, your lobster and they'll take it and go cook it for you. Um, it's open till 3 a.m. Um, and it's become very much a hospo chef hangout after service. Um, I've, I've been there a couple of times, obviously not after service, but I've heard legendary stories about, you know, having Tetsuya and his, his crew on one table and, 
Peter Gilmore on his other table and Martin Ben on his other, like, you know, and all, all these, all these hard hitters. Yeah, so that, that's all outlined in this recent article by Miffy Rigby um, from today, actually uh, mm. in, in good food. So yeah, very, very iconic sort of institution. People go there for the, for the exo pippies and the yeah. congee and then the there's also crabs and snow crabs and yeah. stuff. They also had, I mean, this is the kind of the the um, the mashup of of clientele you had. You, you know, you could get a bowl of fried rice, um, you could get pippies, you get a whole lobster, but they also had an amazing wine list with yeah. vintages of uh, Penfolds Grange going back to like the fifties, which are you know, completely, you know, unattainable unicorn wines, I think. And the, like the 50, 56 or something, which would be like the third, third vintage of Grange ever um, was on the menu for like $60,000 or something. So they've got some like absolute baller, hard hitting, um, iconic Australian wines. So you get a weird mix of hospitality staff, tourists, businessmen dropping thousands of dollars. Right. Wow. I didn't realize that the wine wine list. I I I'd heard the wine list was was pretty epic, but I didn't realize yeah, that it was that. There's deep. some pretty epic uh, Burgundy and Bordeaux and some classic Aussie wines on there. So so it's gone into voluntary administration, um, mm. and this is to do with the fact that their twenty year twenty year lease has uh, is expiring at the end of August and will not be renewed. Now, a spokesperson from Golden Century said, we've been trying to come to terms with the landlord, but you have to ask, is this the, the time to commit to another long-term agreement? And so uh, one of the interesting things about this situation is that I've seen a lot of people talking about it on Instagram and, and there's been an absolute, like I've never seen, I literally have never seen an outpouring of grief if you will from a hospitality community about the closure of one well, venue it's it's almost like a celebrity has died because people yeah. are posting like series of pictures of like them sitting at tables and with dishes and with other chefs um mm. so it has been um quite hyperbolic yeah it's 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 crazy but i think that like one of the things that i i sort of am a little bit weird about is that I've seen a lot of these people and some of them are quite, um, you know, high profile chefs with a big Instagram following and things like that um, saying that it is a victim of COVID and there doesn't seem to be any information out there that that's actually the case. It doesn't seem to be any information that COVID, you know, has made this business uh, insolvent and means that it has had to close and it's just come at an opportune time that their 20 year lease is ending at the end of August um, there's no information in Miffy Rigby's article about the fact that it's, you know, closing because because it's because of COVID. Um, it just says that it's gone into voluntary administration. Um, the, I've, I've heard, I've seen and heard like a few whispers and rumors that that an administrative process can mean that a place will stay open. And there's also speculation that. Golden Century might live on, but just in another location because this is really just the end of the lease at that Sussex Street uh, location in 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 the middle of Sydney. So mm. um, there's a there's a few unknowns and things like that. But I think that the the most interesting thing about this news is the outpouring from people and the way the way that it's been done and. 
like it's interesting because I just don't think that golden century means as much like obviously golden century doesn't mean as much to me or you as you know Sydney Hospo crew who were there um you know once a week after service and 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 things like that it's got a special place in their hearts but let me ask you a controversial question Simon shoot do you think that people like the fact that they've got this relationship with golden century and enjoy posting about it on social media that's more than just like there's more than like I feel for the for the owners of Golden Century and that they're closing, but more like it's kind of cool that I have this relationship with Golden Century. I think people, and especially also talented so cynical. Staff, it's so cynical. No, and no, I no, no. I, I, think it's a, I think it's a fair. I think the a point you made um, about it, it almost feels like hospitality people have sort of taken ownership of it. Mm. Um, of, of something that isn't, isn't necessarily, or definitely not, definitely not just there. So I think people. Well, that's the are, other problem that I have had with it. I'm sorry to interrupt yeah. you. And like one of the issues for me is that like in this article by Mivy Rigby, she's got quotes from Neil Perry, Dan Hong, and you can kind of guess the rest. She's got Neil Perry, yeah. Dan Hong, Mitch Or. Um, you know, there's no there's no quotes in there from the owners, but I'm a hundred percent sure that Miffy would have approached the owners. There is a statement from a spokesperson from the restaurant, but there are no quotes directly from the owners in the article. Um, Eric and Linda Wong. Uh, but yeah, there are quotes in there from Dan Hong, Neil Perry, and Mitch Orr and and David Chang, actually. Mm. So mm. I don't know, like the the thing that doesn't sit well with me with these sorts of things and and I, and some people in their sort of you know little obituary instagram posts about um golden century have said some really meaningful and really wonderful things and i think that that's great and i i can understand that when people lose something that is really important to them that they've shared like some amazing memories at and things like that it's um you know, it's a, it's a sad time and stuff like that. But I think that Golden Century, Golden Century is a Cantonese restaurant mm. and and where it sits and its place in Sydney is reflective of the Chinese community in Sydney as much as it is reflective of the hospitality community in Sydney. So mm. to write, write an article that that's about Golden Century closing that only speaks to celebrity chefs about how it's affected people in Sydney's hospitality community kind of misses either 50% or way more than 50% of the patrons that Golden Century would have meant something to. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that's, um, that's, a, that's a case to be made um, that possibly kind of, yeah, missing some aspects of it. Um, I think... Like, it was definitely a restaurant, like, in hospitality, you heard about it because you heard of all these, you know, industry legends going there late night. So that, that was kind of what made its name. And I think hospitality people love having that local bar or that local spot where you sort of, you know other people at the tables, like, you know, after work, you meet up with other people. And that's just probably got the highest, you know, profile chefs and industry people going to it. 
So if you were a part of that club, there's a little bit of like, I want to show people that I was part of that little exclusive That's golden century club. So, uh, so I mean, as much as everything on social media, I know what I see a bit. Yeah, it, it's performative in that sense, where like you know, you you want like you want you're you're sad. Like I'm not, I'm not saying people are disingenuous, but I think there's a little bit of um, I was part of that legendary time, just so you just so you all know. <laughs> I think there's a little bit. I think, you've, like, I think you've, like, you've you've articulated that very well. Yeah. Sir. Like, like I, I would be similar. Like, if one of my local favorite bars closed, I would be. I would yeah, feel, Howling Wolf closed. Yeah, I, I'd feel. I'd feel like I was more upset than other people. Like, I'd yeah. be like, "You're, you're not really upset." Like, I was a real local there. Like, like I would be. I would be the same as well. So you just, you just have this, and especially hospitality people. We have a weird little ownership of other people's businesses in a way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you feel, you feel like. Like oh you know but I was always there for like so I think it's 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 social media performative but it yeah it has seemed like a massive massive outpouring and and, um, and sadness over a iconic venue closing. That's uh, an interesting one. We'll probably leave it there for that because let's move on. But um mm. you know whenever we post about this, people can bloody put in the comments what they think. I don't know. Maybe we're being yeah. too cynical. <laughs> um, all right, let's move on to our, our next section of this Stock mm. Takes episode. And, and this is where we talk about something that's just tickling us a little bit on Instagram, whether it's in a good way or a bad way or an interesting way or whatever that may be. And I'm going to go first time. Okay. You, you've, you've got, you've got I like, the most important one. I, I, it's very like easy to just notice trends on instagram because mm. they spread like wildfire like certain trends on instagram so what i've been doing is that every time someone uh shares a picture of a basque cheesecake on instagram i've been screenshotting it and saving it to my phone um and so like this is you know it could be either a media organization putting out a recipe like uh you know gourmet traveler did one recently or, I mean, it's a no-brainer if people want to do takeaway and things like that. Um, I, I, I'm not going to call out any Australian venues because there's people that I know quite well that are doing these <laughs> cheesecakes. But, like, um, Vespertine in LA is doing bus cheesecakes. Um, you know, all over the world, people are just people are just mm. frothing the bus cheesecakes, Simon. They, um, yeah. I'll say Attica, Attica's doing bus cheesecakes. We can talk about that because Attica's Attica and they're fine. But yeah, essentially everyone's doing bus cheesecakes, and it, I just yeah, I just it, it found just, that interesting. <laughs> it just seems the the popular dish right now. Yeah. Um, and like so, some of them don't look that good. Some of them look like a burnt a burnt. I, I just want to know, like I'm I'm. Have you I've had never, one? I've I've had one. Yeah. I, I find you need. Um, you, I find like you can't eat them on their own. I found that like you need some acid or some like sweetness, like from something else. Yeah, like um, I, I just the ice cream, scoop of ice cream. Or something. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, now I've I never made one. Um, I've made one. I've only well, I mean, like I did. I made one, but I didn't mean to make one. Now is that how they started? Because how did you make one without meaning to make one? Did you have a I, base? On no, I left it in the oven too long. Yeah, but did you like a, the whole thing about a basket? cake is that yeah. the burnt exterior is the crust and you don't actually have so, th so there's no base is that what you're saying no 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 there's no base so you just put some yeah some bacon paper down and chuck your thing in and they're really fucking easy and like to cook at home 
it's actually a really great dessert to cook at home because it's super I mean, easy. I recommend people use the Bon Appetit uh, recipe. The Bon Appetit um, mm-hmm. magazine recipe is like a really simple, good one for, for a really successful Basque cheesecake. Um, and I, I think it's a great dish. It's just, um, mm. I don't know. There are a lot of them. Um, <laughs> it's just, there's just a lot of them. There's a um, lot of them around. Yeah, um, it's, I think it's the issue when you see uh, trends like this happen. Um, how many are good? How many, how many? are bad? Um, what are they supposed to be like? Especially when it's a, a Basque country uh, peasant dish, and we're sort of in Australia. Like, are, are we anywhere near what they're, they're supposed to be like? Um, lots of questions, but there's definitely a Basque burnt Basque cheesecake. Epidemic, I might, I might say. Um, so what right you, what, let's let's move on. What what are you uh, what are you looking at on Instagram? Um, the just the rise of um, a website called Providor, Providor, so like, like your door. Works perfectly. Play, play on words. Um, yep. So a with everyone doing um, you know takeaway cook at home meal kits. Obviously, these guys have seen a good little gap in the market to provide the delivery uh, and the logistics as a third-party um, website. So um, lots of uh, Sydney and Melbourne so far, restaurants. Uh, seems like there's more and more. The, the lineup of restaurants on oh, Provador is... Exceptional. Uh, like, so let's just go through them. Icebergs, Otto, Sake, Neil Perry, Alberto's Lounge, Spice Temple, Chichibella, Chiswick, Rockpool, Bentley, Fratelli Paradiso, Hubert, Chop House, Nort, The Apollo, Chocho Sun, Cirrus, Golden Century, Lankan Filling Station, Lotus, DOC, Monopole, XOPP, Hojack, Bistro, Three Blue Ducks, Yellow, Chat Tide, Bentley, The Baxter Inn, Shady Pines. Like, come mm. on. That is out of control. Yeah. That's just so. Sick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And obviously, Melbourne, and they, they seem pretty, pretty new since a lot of people get on board. Um, I got some food delivered from them recently. Really? Uh, I did, yes. Kept this from you. Um, so I got a little, a couple of steaks from Rockpool and um, got some other stuff from Yellow. Um, and I think we, we ordered the night before, the, the afternoon before, before a cutoff time. And it arrived all packaged in a, a chilled box um, at like 11 a.m. the next day. And we cooked oh, up, shit. cooked up at night. So, so what did you think, get? Tell me, take me through the, the menu. Like, what's the rock? Um, pool, what's the rock pool so, menu? Look I mean, like? I was looking through at everyone, seeing what I wanted, and I thought rock pool was good value for money. Um, it was like 180 bucks for two, but there's that's, two how, that's how that's how Simon makes his decisions, ladies oh, and gentlemen. <laughs> by the way, he's always he's always looking for a bargain. The bar, yeah, you know, it's downturn in trade at the moment. Um, love a bargain. Now, if I've, if I've got the money. Um, <laughs> So we got, uh, there was like, what did I get? Some, there was like a little a cheese. There was some very nice ham, which I actually just had on a sandwich the next day. Uh, and um, there was some ham, cheese, and pickles. There was a little cheese course. There was some prawns and two steaks, two sides, and a little little chocolate cake dessert. So, and how was um, it? How was the was process good. of like opening it up and cooking it and, and those sorts of things? Yeah, it's good. I mean, I, I had to jazz it up a little bit, make it, you know, put my spin on it. Um, Your own spin on uh, it. Yeah, obviously. Why not? Because uh, you had to. Use, use some nice plates and bowls. Um, no, like it comes with, it comes with instructions. Every, like the steaks were, were seared off um, basically to cuisson. Then you just reheat them. The sides went in the oven. So it was all, it was all very simple. 
um, idiot proof, some might say, with I imagine some of the people trying to cook it at home. But um, I think it's a great option for better restaurants right now because mm-hmm. you know most of those restaurants couldn't be doing Uber Eats. The, the food doesn't doesn't work enough. It doesn't it doesn't travel hot like that. Um, it's very hard. And then obviously you can try and get um, like like Babyface do pickups. You go pick it up and it's hot and you go straight home. That works, but it's it's um, in a place like Sydney where there's you know, such a, a largest largest scope of place. Um, also, they, they deliver to Wollongong. They deliver my one of my um, employees has got it coming this weekend. I think. Down, do they like how, where, do, where do they deliver to? Can they deliver to oh, to me? I'm not sure how far they go, but they do go down to like Kangaroo Valley. I know mm. they go that far. I'm not sure how much further. Not far enough. Well, uh, yeah, you're pretty far away. But um, delivery information. I'm looking at it now. Look, look at it now. The deliv- delivery was like 16 bucks. Um, yeah, all came chilled. Very, very swift. Very tasty. And I just think, yeah, it's a great idea for restaurants that can't really do Uber Eats, can't do Deliveroo. Um, they can still provide good food. Um, the cooking was minimal, like so. We did it as you go. Took, took a couple of minutes for each sort of course. Um, and everything looked good, and like, yeah, and the restaurants on there are awesome. Like, it's, um, I mean, it's, I imagine it's something that something that restaurants might keep uh, going forward after lockdown. Um, you know, restaurants from Sydney can deliver. Yeah, you know, I, it looks awesome. It, like the lineup and and the way that it's presented, and mm. like whoever whoever did this, like the 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 photography even of the food and how it's all explained nicely. And th- it's got that sort of, it's almost got a sort of a Silicon Valley, really good sort of tech um, functionality to it. Like, yeah, it yeah. It's, it's well done. So it'd be, it'd be great to see them, um, you know, possibly expand to maybe be able to do some restaurants outside Sydney and maybe, uh, you know, bring some regional restaurants to the city. That'd yep. be a great, a great step. Um, that's cool. Yeah, that's a great idea. I'm not sure they're doing that. I just this is my suggestion to them. So, uh, Provador, if you need tips, uh, let us know, mm. and we'll, we'll we'll help out any way any way we can. Yep. Um, so oh, yeah, I like that. Good good look. I definitely think regional. Try and uh, you know shop regional first. Go to your local restaurants, um, but definitely worth a little treat uh, to get some Sydney food in. Yeah, that's a cool one. Yeah, mm. nice. All right, uh, let's wrap it up, Simon. We've got a couple of tips happening each. Um, let's, let's go. You go first. I, I just went first in that segment. So final um, tips, one hot tip each to finish off the stock takes. Yeah. Uh, use, use your freezer, like freeze, like some learn what things freeze well, vegetables, fruit don't freeze well. They go to shit. Except for bananas, except for well, peel, okay. peel bananas and freeze them. Always with the fucking bananas. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, that's what we also I mean. If you do freeze strawberries, they're really good to make jam. But generally, if you want to have fresh fruit, fresh vegetables, they're shit. Fish, mm, not so bad. Meat freezes all right. Don't listen to what most chefs say. Like, if you, if you have to freeze it, freeze it. But liquids, they freeze great. So stocks, sauces. Like, even if you get, like, you get some, like, broth from delivered from your local Chinese, it's normally too much broth. Just like fill up a little cute little ice tray, bung it in your freezer, and then you've got something to chuck in whatever when, when you need it. Mm. I think uh, what, what would be, I've got a lot of tips for freezing, but I think that people get worried about buying high quality sourdough because they think they're not able to eat the whole thing yeah. a day if they live by themselves or if they live with just one other person. They're like, oh, if we buy a fucking $12 loaf of yeah. uh, like uh, ancient grain sourdough or some shit right now, 
we're not going to be able to finish it. Slice it up and just put it in the freezer and put it in the toaster because it is yeah. fantastic. It, like, yeah, for, it, for toast, it's great. And, and you know, you'll never regret that. So that's like the, the easiest possible way to get around the, the conundrum of I'm one person, I like good bread, I don't want to buy a whole loaf because it'll go stale and whatever. It's fine. Eat a yeah. few slices fresh and then just freeze the rest and it's still worth your 10 bucks or however bread's, much you for bread, it. Bread's a game changer when you freeze it. Yeah. yeah. Even if... Even if you just get like a sliced loaf, like how many people throw away that last part of your sliced loaf? Like yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a limb and say absolutely everyone, every <laughs> single time. Does anyone ever finish a loaf of bread? I, I'm not sure, <laughs> but like you could just freeze that end down, pull it out for toast. Yeah, love a bit it's of one toast. of the it's one of the best best things for food waste as well. The old yeah. the old freezer, and I think. I don't know, like, a lot, you know, people have their own different levels of what, what's acceptable yeah. to them for... Uh, quick, uh, quick contentious quick. opinion. Shitbread makes better better toast. Better t- Shitbread makes better toast? What do you mean? Yeah. So I got, I went to, like, local, like, a tiny little, like, supermarket in a little, like, not far from my little villagey thing near Wollongong. And I just bought the... It was, like, the only bread they had if I wanted to toast eat. So I bought this bread. And when I looked at like the ingredient list, it had like milk, soy, like it was shit bread. It was like impossibly soft and fluffy. Like that can't have been baked. That had to be like manufactured. And I've just been having toast of it and it's the best toast. All right. Okay. And, and I, I just like, I just don't like sourdough toast that much. I do. I love sourdough toast. Really? Yeah. Fucking old Aussies. You bloody, you just like Vegemite on sourdough and with, with really good butter. is, is Sourdough is not always the best, the best bread. There's... Oh, it's true. Yes. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Definitely agree. Right. It's another podcast. Um, the other thing it's that just... I will, the other thing I'll touch on is, if you want to make stocks, like if if you're in a if you're a person that isn't at making stock level in your in your cooking at home, or you think that it's a bit of a pain in the ass, or or you don't have the time for it, and it sometimes can be hard, right? Like if you want to, like say if you buy a chicken and you bone it out and you've got these pile of bones and then you've got all the chicken and you actually want to cook dinner with the, the chicken, but you've still got all these bones. It's just, just have like, just freeze, freeze bones. Like, or mm. like for me, like I, you know, I do a bit of fishing and, and, and spear fishing and, and all that sort of thing. And if you like, say if one night I want to make fish and chips and I've just caught some fish, I'm, you know, a, a food waste zealot. So I'm like, let's, let's not waste this, but I'll, I'll come home and I'll, fillet the fish i'll make fish and chips for dinner and then i'll just i'll just freeze the frames and then every time i've got like a piece of fish or you know sorry a whole fish or even if it's like even if it's you know prawns that i've shelled or a lobster or whatever um i just i just freeze all that until i until i've got like a sunday afternoon and i'm like all right like now let's make a really nice big fish stock and it's yeah. and and it's super easy so it makes it like if you want to be you know, using some of those things that you usually discard, even pieces of vegetables, even things like vegetable peels or tops and tails of onions and carrots and things like that. You can freeze all that. And when you've got the time, you can make a stock out of it. And it's a really good mm. way to sort of avoid food waste. So yeah, heaps of different tips. Use your freezer. All yeah. right. That, br- well, that sort of brings me... Sorry, Simon, you go for it. Yeah, no, no, no. I was, I was going to say, Stefan, what is your tip? Yeah, segue. So Show us your tip. I, my tip is, and, and it's it's based on... I'm going to brag for a second, but I went for a dive this Wait, morning. Did you go to Golden Century? No, I didn't go to Golden Century, <laughs> but I did get the lobster. Um, <laughs> we, I went for a dive this morning and I got a really nice 
uh, lobster and four abalone. And I'm like, I, I don't know. It's just made my day. Like it's literally made my day. And I'm so looking forward to cooking it for dinner tonight. It's ridiculous. And, you know, you're a man who loves foraging for your own ingredients and things. And we've talked mm. to people like Mark LeBroy on this podcast who, and John Rally, who are avid hunters. Mad and, hunters. And I guess the tip is if you can, if you're in this sort of world, whether it's foraging or fishing or collecting wild oysters or hunting or um, whatever it might be, like like even another one is like you can go to think you can go to blueberry farms and and pick your own blueberries and weigh them and pay for them or you can go to maybe not now you can go there's orchards that you can go to where you can pick fruit yourself and go and pay for them but there is something about harvesting your own food whether it's foraging or fishing or hunting or gathering mushrooms all this all all, all of this sort of stuff that is it, it just brings you so much closer to your food and you never, you, you always cook these things with such a reverence. Like you cook them in a different way. You treat them so much different to if you had to just gone to the shops and bought them. So mm. my tip is to, if you can, if you've got the means, if you've got the time, figure out a, what a way. Would, sorry. What see, let's go seafood wise for you. What would be the absolute easiest thing for someone to be able okay. to collect themselves? If, if you know how to snorkel, you can gather sea urchins. Wherever you go on the on the east coast of Australia, there will be Centrostephanus sea urchins, which are the big purple ones, and they will have sea urchin row inside them, which is edible. And I've talked about instructions before. We've talked about instructions before, and I might put a instructional on my uh, website, quicksandfood.com, to on how to how to clean urchins. But if you know how to snorkel, you can gather urchins. You just have to get a bag, a hessian sack whatever whatever you want to put in them and a pair of gloves all you need is a pair of gloves and you are able to gather sea urchins and you can get 10 of them which is like way more than you need like no one mm. needs 10 sea urchins yeah um and and begin there yeah we did a bump of urchin and caviar after a shoot and that was enough that yeah. was one one tongue exactly so, yeah that's all, that's all you need that, is, that, the, new, that is the that new website the easiest what about foraging Warrigal, um, be yeah, Warrigal Greens. Um, first of all, like, there's nothing else that looks like Warrigal Greens, so there's no worry about picking, you know, some other plant. Um, you'll find them normally, like, I mean, they'll pop up almost anywhere, but near sort of creeks, um, on the dunes, in the little part between the land and the dunes, like normally with a little bit of cover, um, you'll find them around there. Like Google them, look at them, keep your eye out for them, and you'll find them. And then you can just use them like spinach. Yep. Like I said, they're so easy. They're always in really good condition. They're really bright, amazing green color, really good for you. Um, there is always a lurking rumor that you have to cook them, um, which is actually untrue. Um, they're actually no, no higher in uh, oxalic acid than, than most other things. But yeah, stew them down. Use them like spinach. Put a couple of small ones in, in your in your salad. Um, delicious. I mean, if you found if you've gone been fishing, you'll probably find them around around the beaches fishing somewhere. Grab them. Go great with fish. Yep. Awesome. All right, Simon. That's great. Let's leave it there. Yeah. I think it's a successful first stock takes episode. Um, yeah. Take that stock. We, we uh, obviously we, a lot will longer we, than a half an hour, but yeah. like, will we yes. discuss stock every episode? 
No, but we did get a lot of stock in this one. Yeah. Stock takes. All right, thank you so mm. much for listening, everyone. Cheers. Hello, dear listeners. Steph here. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of The Food Fight. If you want to get in touch with us, it's at The Food Fight Podcast on Instagram or The Food Fight Podcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you and we want to talk to you. Please leave us a five star review on iTunes. That really helps. If you want to hit me up, it's quicksandfood.com or at quicksandfood on Instagram. And if you want to get in touch with Simon, it's Simon underscore Evans underscore TBD on Instagram. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll catch you again with another episode. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.